Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for checking into the best Houston sports podcast. And because I know so many of you have been in and out of pocket over the summer, I'm playing back all five interviews we've done with insiders on the Texans draft picks, which reminds me, don't forget to look for our Texans Rams postgame podcast in the next few days. Please subscribe to the show on YouTube and make a comment even if you're only listening on your podcast app. It's the best way to support us. All right, let's get to the good stuff. So over the last three months, I've grabbed media experts on Texans picks, Derek Stingley, Kenyon Green, Jalen Petrie, John Mechie, Christian Harris, and Austin DeCoulis. The final conversation is with Joe DeLeon, who covers the whole draft. So he'll head on the three picks we missed in the previous four conversations. Damian Pierce, Thomas Booker, and Tegan Quitteriano. Without further ado, let's jump in. Joining me for an inside look at Texans first round pick Derek Stingley and sixth round pick Austin DeCoulis is Blake Rafino, who covers LSU for the Believe Network. Great to have you on, Blake. Thanks for doing this. Thanks, Robert. I appreciate it, man. And uh, it's going to be a fun. It's going to be a fun show. Yeah, I know locally we were here and the Texans were leaning towards Stingley, according to the NFL Network's Lance Zerline, who's a local guy here on the radio. Was it a surprise in Baton Rouge? Were you surprised? Yes and no. Because I think for two years you had Derek Stingley, arguably one of, if not the best defender in the country, when healthy. The problem has been over the last two seasons is he hasn't been, right? So when he fell on the on the uh, marker against Missouri in 2020 and rolled up on his ankle and was out for that entire season and was kind of disinterested, didn't come back after the Alabama game. And then this season, the Liz Frank injury gets hurt, you know, plays against Central Michigan, has really, really, really good game, uh, does have a blown coverage that everybody, for, you know, kind of that was the last thing that they saw of Derek uh, and then goes out because of the toxicity that Ed Orgeron created um, around LSU and his program. So then all of a sudden, Derek Stingley, uh, we don't see him for the rest of the season. Um, my, my whole thing, Robert, has been this. Derek Stingley is a top three pick. He's a top three talent. I was surprised because of the injury history that he went that high. But Lovey Smith pulled the trigger. And but again, what Derek Stingley are you getting? Talent, again, you're gonna you're gonna be able to get the one of the best corners in a long time. You know, there was a lot of local people here that talked about and scouts that said that when he was in high school, they would have drafted him then, right before he even seen him. LSU didn't have corners in a bowl game against the in the Orange Bowl when they played uh, the the at the time the reigning defending national champs. All jokes aside. Uh, UCF uh, 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 Black Knights and Derek Stingley was a midterm enrollee and would have played in that game. Um, nevertheless, um, he was one of the best talent and most talented DBs that LSU's seen from a talent perspective. But I just was really shocked because of the injuries, but not because of the talent. He had the Liz Frank injury, you know, tough guy. He played for three games, didn't even tell anybody what was going on from what I understand. Uh, what all happened over the last couple of years? Can you explain just it for, for Texans fans that might not have been following LSU and what was going on there? Yeah, Robert, that's actually, I don't know how much money a third overall pick makes, but if y'all find out, let us know. Okay, because the problem was is that Orgeron didn't even know that Derek Stingley was having surgery. 
right? So the day that Derek Stingley went and had surgery, nobody knew. And so when questioned about it, Ed Ron said, I, I don't know. Um, I, it was something that's been, that was bothering Derek during camp. So uh, even I, I would say early August, you know, he missed the entire fall camp. So I don't know if it was necessarily people didn't know that he wasn't battling injury. I say that's false. You know, we went out to practice multiple times and Derek was standing on the sidelines. Uh, and so I don't know where the really, I don't want to call it a narrative, you know, but I, I don't really know where that came from really, you know, because we all knew that he was battling an injury. Now, how bad was the injury? We did not know that. It wasn't until pro day that we knew that he had a Liz Frank injury and he had the surgery. So it was a lot of um, denial around the injury, believe it or not. And so for that, I think a lot of people questioned, uh, Derek Stingley from LSU's perspective. Did he quit? Did he opt out? What happened there? And it wasn't until pro day that they found out that he did have the Liz Frank surgery, or we all found out that he had the Liz Frank surgery. Lots of secrets. It sounds exactly like what goes on with the Texans a lot in the last few years. And, you know, coming out of high school, Blake, it, it, he was a five-star recruit, considered the number one guy in his class, according to rivals. What can you tell us about the guy that, you saw as a player, I, I know you didn't get to see him much the last couple of years, but that first year, I think, what was it? Six interceptions, 21 pass defense, something like that. The best DB in college football. I, I, that, it's not really arguable, right, Robert? I, like it's, you can't make the argument that he wasn't the best DB in the country in 2019. Um, I, I, maybe you could say and make the argument Devonta Smith against Alabama but they battled, and he was a freshman, and some things went wrong. That was LSU's fault. Again, he's the best. He, he, I, I still believe over the last three years, when healthy, he's the best one of the best players in the country. I mean, I, I really think it's a coin flip. You can make that debate, um, but he he—he's not. He has been a man-to-man corner. He needs help in zone coverages. We saw so, uh, Robert. For your listeners, we break down like film study and we do things like that. He's not used to running, you know, zone coverages, which I think he'll be have to uh, get up to speed with that. But I, he's smart enough. He's been around football enough. His dad was a coach. His grandfather was in the NFL. This isn't something new to him. I think the concepts is something that everybody has to learn. Uh, you know, everybody that goes into an NFL, you're going to have to learn the concepts. But when you get him on the field, he's locked down. I, I, I fully believe that, you know, with the measure, he reminds me, of a little bit more uh, or a little bit faster Darrell Revis. That was the comp that I gave him when he came out. Because, again, they called it uh, uh, Stingley Island. Uh, nobody – Robert, it got so bad in high school that people started stopped even running the ball in his general direction, okay? They were punting on third down and confusing the defense just so Derek Stingley wouldn't return the kicks because he was taking everything to the house. That's the kind of athlete you get at three. If you get that kid, if you get that athlete at that number three pick, like you saw in 2019, the Texans have a cornerstone, in my opinion. And I I still think it's a great pick that you have him there, but it just, again, the question's going to be, what Derek Singley do you get? Sirline in his report said he was inconsistent in finding the football and coverage and his run support was not all that great. Is that fair from what you saw? On the tackling, yes. On the ball skills, absolutely not. I, I completely disagree with that. Um, 
again, it, it, are we talking about Devontae Smith or are we talking about everything else? Now, if you want to talk, pop in the Bama film, sure. You know, like, look, he got he got picked apart. Tua and, Tua and Mac Jones picked him apart. And you, for that reason, yes, you could say that. But people quickly forget the national championship game. People completely forget when he went up against George Pickens. People forget when he went up against a lot of these different guys in the SEC. You know, the funny thing was is that if LSU, okay, in that miraculous 2019 season, some call it the best team of all time, whatever argument you want to make that's good with me, good with you, I don't, I don't really want to get in that debate. If he doesn't p- intercept that pass against Auburn, down goes LSU. Okay, that's if if he doesn't intercept that pass against Florida, LSU's tied late in the fourth quarter. Now, I think they still win because of Joe Burrow, but regardless, he made big plays and found the ball when he absolutely needed to. That would be, his ball skills are a plus plus. Tackling is an issue. UCLA was an issue. Um, Alabama was an issue. He's got to he's got to want to. Now, when he wanted to. It wasn't an issue, but I, I wonder if that won't to on the tackling. But ball skills, look, he would have been – I think he would have been a top-10 pick as a wide receiver. There was a reason why LSU was entertaining putting him and Kayshawn Bouti, uh, possibly another top-10 pick for LSU next season, in the same offensive package. Uh, but it never – you know, never went that way. Um, but Derek Stingley's ball skills are are amazing. Yeah, we saw them leaking a little bit, the Jamar Chase videos of him covering him in practice. So, uh, yeah, he he could do it. And you got to remind people, he's doing this stuff back in 2019. What is he, 18, 19 years he old? Was, when, he's- when he went, when he came in, Robert, he was 17, right? Yeah. He, so here was the, Joe Burrow had a fantastic story in a practice that we didn't see. Joe Burrow said that when they were practicing against for, or practicing for UCF and he was in practice, he threw the ball to Jamar Chase and it was intercepted by Derek Stingley. He goes, okay, lucky pick. So then Justin Jefferson lined up on him, another pick. And so Joe finally was, and we're talking about an AFC championship, 65 total touchdown Joe Burrow about to go in here. He said, I stopped throwing it at him. I told Jamar and Justin that if, unless you beat him, I'm not throwing it to you. So that was the kind of hype that he had coming in. Those, it was probably, and, and, and Robert, look, I, I played with Robert Alford who got drafted uh, to the uh, Atlanta Falcons, pick six in the, in the Super Bowl against Brady. I've seen these battles and with these corners before. I've never seen battles like Jamar Chase and Derek Stingley in my life. Not, man, not person to person, not that close. It was LSU practice at that time was the most epic thing I think I'd ever seen. Oh, and by the way, Joe Burrow's throwing the football. <laughs> you know, so it was it was pretty crazy. You're on the ground there at LSU. What do you hear about Stingley behind the scenes? Good character guy? As a character guy, as an individual, yes. I think Derek needed to get away from Baton Rouge. You know, it's, you know, you ever had that cliche that everybody talks about, you need to get away, you know, like some kids like pick other colleges because they need to get away from home. I think Derek needed to do that. Um, as an individual kid, you're not going to find anybody better. You saw him going back to high school. You're from that area. He he played around there. I mean, this is somebody that that area knows very, very well. And, and you just said, football-wise, he should know about as much as you can know. Between his dad and his grandfather, 
I mean, everybody knows about his grandfather's story. His dad also very much involved in football and over the years. So it, it's all there. I mean, is there anything that you think need, needs to get out there? Texans fans need to know about him that maybe, you know, we haven't read about or, or something that, you know, personally behind the scenes, anything that uh, we, we, we might, we might be missing here. If you get an engaged Derek Stingley, like someone that's going to be focused 24 seven, you have probably or arguably one of the best corners in the, in the NFL. I, I mean, again, you have him locking down Jamar Chase in a practice. I, I, this is the same year that Jamar Chase would catch 20 touchdowns in the season. Same with Justin Jefferson. Same with Terrace Marshall. Um, the question has always been the focus, the want to. Um, that's the only thing with Derek. And I, I, in my opinion, I think he's going to be focused and ready to go. I, I kind of want to give him a pass, Robert, honestly, because of, because of Ed Orgeron. You know, and look at the toxicity around LSU at the moment. Um, that would be the one thing I, 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 that would be probably the biggest thing. I'll leave it there. All right. Well, let's, let's go to the other LSU tiger uh, that the Texans drafted in the sixth round. They pick up Austin Dukoulis, the offensive tackle, Louisiana native who grew up in our backyard here in Houston, went over to Cyfair high school, played in an LSU record, 60 games all told. So you guys know a ton about him. Hard to steal a starting tackle late. So the hope, I'm sure, for the Texans is versatile backup. Somebody can play maybe a number of different positions, but can help you with the backup tackle position. What can you tell us about Austin? Austin's probably the most underrated Tiger in LSU's history. Okay, like started over 50 games, played in 60. There's nothing that he won't see. Now, next year's arguably number one overall pick or number two overall pick, Will Anderson, who is a freak of nature. Um, did nothing against Austin Deculus. Uh, Austin shut him down. Um, LSU, he's a great run blocker. I think he's a guard at the next level, but I, I agree with you, Robert. I, I really believe he can kick around to anywhere you want him to go. I think he's very versatile in where he can go. I don't think he can play left tackle long, but it, like if you have an injury and he's got to do it for two weeks, he can do it. Um, but I think he's going to be a prototypical right guard in the league. That's my opinion. Um, but he can play wherever you want. He's a road raider. He's strong. He's physical. He's nasty. Um, quite honestly, if this were 2019, I really think he would have been a, a late second, early third round pick. Um, be because I think of what happened around LSU, he fell. Um, but again, didn't give up a sack. What we grade our team, you know, our producers here, he did not give up a sack the entire season. It is a hell of a pickup by the Texans. And just a leader from what I've read about him, he would go mentor the younger guys with the Tigers. And, you know, I've seen interviews with him. Just seems like just a down-to-earth kid, you know, just a good guy. Absolutely. I mean, he, he quite you can make an argument. He was the glue that held them together in 2020, literally. And when you have that from a guy that just won a national title and then the wheels – Look, he went from a Heisman Trophy, you know, a, a Joe Moore winning offensive line to the same coach two years later being fired and you're six and seven the last couple of seasons. Um, there's nothing that, you know, obviously the NFL can throw him wrinkles, um, but there's nothing that he quite honestly hasn't seen. I mean, he's going through an adventure in college 
I, look, if, I think you, you could get a solid seven, eight years out of Austin Deculus. And he can just be the plug-and-play guy. If you need him, he'll be there. Is he a starter in the NFL? I don't know. Um, can he be? Yes. And maybe he sneaks in, and you said at guard. I mean, that's a position that the Texans, one of the guard spots is going to be open. I mean, obviously, Kenyon Green is the guy they drafted for, for uh, one of those positions, but who knows what's going to happen with him over there. I, I, I mean, I, I could talk to you about these guys all day, but great stuff with them. I, I do want to get this before you go, though. What is the temperature there with the Brian Kelly experience so far in the first few months? Uh, outside of Louisiana, it seems that everybody believes that it's toxic, you know, like it's horrible. It's not going well. If you're inside of Louisiana, you're thinking something completely different. Um, I think he's done a really good job. I mean, look, you, you play in the Texas bowl and you have 37 or yeah, 37 scholarship players that are on your roster. They have 84 right now. So I think the way that he was able to hit the transfer portal, the way that he was able to recruit um, and getting guys to come here, um, the culture he's already building with a lot of the alumni, you know, alumni wasn't coming back under Orgeron, COVID or not. Now, some of them would, but a lot of them would not. And Brian Kelly has embraced it. I think he's hired the right guys to build the culture. Um, Look, Frank Wilson is a number one recruiter, you know, 2010, 2011. LSU gets beat in the national title, but the mean, the number one recruiter on rivals in two four seven it was Frank Wilson has head coaching experience. He he's done good there. I think outside of him saying family, uh, Brian Kelly's done a really good job. Yeah, I, I just I'm curious. Did you like the move at the time? I questioned it in the beginning um, because I didn't know Brian Kelly. You know, like you know Brian, uh, you know of Brian Kelly. You don't know Brian Kelly if that makes sense. Like you. You know him as the figure. You don't know him as the coach. Because I don't really break down Notre Dame athletics or football enough to know him. But then when you start breaking it down and you start breaking him down, I mean, he's the winningest coach in Notre Dame history out, you know, from a wins perspective. That doesn't come at a, a, a small feat. Um, I, I like it. I, I mean, let's see what he does on the field. I mean, look, LSU just sold out Tiger Stadium for Garth Brooks, and he said it was the loudest stadium he'd ever been in. Um, with 123,000 people. Well, newsflash of Brian Kelly, you better get ready for a death, death Valley on Saturday night because 20,000 less people are in there. You know, so welcome to the SEC and welcome to LSU. Tons of LSU fans in Houston. <laughs> Tell people about your podcast because I, I know you, you're doing this on a very, very regular basis, right? Well, yes, yes, indeed. Thank you so much for uh, having me, Robert. Uh, AYS Sports across the board. Um, you can follow us on YouTube, Twitter, uh, we're, I'm going to announce this tonight on our show. We're doing a uh, $500 uh, giveaway. If we w- reach 10,000 followers on Twitter, we're so close. Um, and we just took over the Belief uh, in Saints podcast as well. My good co-host, Terrence Copper, former, LSU, or former NFL and Saints player. Um, so you go follow us there, and, and that's where, what we're doing. Well, I can't tell you enough how much. I appreciate you coming on and talking to us about Derek Stingley. You got me excited about him. Uh, I'm excited about the talent coming in. And, you know, it, it, in Houston, we're looking for something to get excited about. And Derek Stingley, with the with that sort of uh, potential, uh, you know, it, it's, it's, it's got to get the Texans fans going a little bit just to, to, to see him come in. Look, again, he's either going to be the cornerstone or he's going to struggle. 
And but I think he's going to be the cornerstone. He's a great player. Thanks so much. Thanks, Robert. Y'all have a good day. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. <laughs> Joining me is a familiar face to Houston sports fans. David Nuno, after nearly a decade in the sports department at Channel 13, David now covers the Aggies for TexAgs.com. And David, before I get to the business of new Texan Kenyon Green, got to say, we miss seeing you regularly around Houston, man. I appreciate that. I had such a good time um, covering Houston sports. And, you know, the Astros run was incredible. The Texans had a few good years. Even the Rockets had some good years. The Dynamo, I, I miss seeing the familiar faces at the press conferences and at practices and whatnot. But uh, I do not mind the slow pace of life here down in College Station or up in College Station. <laughs> sort of up and over in College Station. But uh, with the 15th pick, the Texans choose Kenyon Green. One of your guys over there. I don't have to tell you how desperately the Texans need offensive line help. What can you tell fans who might not have watched the Aggies about Kenyon Green, the player? Well, a couple of things. I'll start off with the man that is Kenyon Green. He's just a good guy, a leader, a, a good person, kind of soft-spoken, but uh, he definitely led that offensive line. And A&M has had some great offensive linemen over the years. I think six have been drafted in the first round since they entered the SEC so that just tells you the kind of talent um, that uh, A&M has. I think it's 2011, I should say, the year before they entered the SEC, six offensive linemen. Uh, what you're going to get in Kenyon Green is a very versatile player who has played almost every position on the offensive line for Texas A&M. Uh, he lined up at center, lined up at left guard, right guard. He can play across the line. He's a smash mouth kind of offensive lineman. And uh, he's he's ranked very near the top of all the best offensive linemen that have come from this school and a guy that absolutely will help anchor that uh, defensive uh, offensive line there for the Texans guy you can count on every single weekend. And um, and a guy that in a way like Dwayne Brown, that, you you know, when he was there, you could just pencil him in. He's going to open up a big hole and he's going to be a part of it. Um, And again, though, I think the leadership qualities, the young man that he is all fits in perfectly. He's played a number of different positions, like you said. Is there a, a particular position that makes the most sense? Is it guard, do you think, long-term? And if so, is it left guard, right guard? Does that make a difference at all? I don't think it'll make a difference at the next level. And, you know, the Texans coaches will be able to figure that out. I do think at AM his best position was probably left guard. Uh, we saw him play right guard. We saw him move around the day of the Alabama game. The morning of, he was told he's playing a different position, and he adjusted because of injuries on the offensive line. Uh, but where I think he's best suited is is left guard. Uh, but he's a, a guy who can grow. So if there's a need on the right side, by all means. I've heard some concern over his pass blocking. Is that analysis, analysis being picky on him or is, is that a, a real thing at all? I mean, it, it, I think it's more being picky because Zach Calzada, especially towards the end of the season last year, was not the, the most gifted runner back there. Um, you know, I, I think offensive lines and quarterbacks, they work together, right? So um, there are offensive lines that make quarterbacks look faster than they really are. And there are quarterbacks that make the offensive line look better than they really are because of their ability to move. So with the right quarterback in place um, and, you know, the right timing in place, I don't think it's, it's going to be that much of a challenge in, in the pass blocking. With offensive line or any position in the NFL, what you're looking for is a guy that can improve and get better and you know, you want to see somebody that is able to pick things up pretty quickly. Does that describe Kenyon? Is he somebody that you've seen vast improvement just in his, in his uh, time there, a short time with the Aggies? Yeah, 
I mean, he started as a freshman. So that just tells you, like, I mean, and, and we saw just last year with the A&M had a couple of freshmen starting. It takes a little while, especially in the SEC, to get adjusted to that speed, that size, making the jump from high school. Well, I'm going to tell you the SEC is not the NFL, but it's the next closest thing, right? The, the kind of competition that these gentlemen have to see week in and week out. He can absorb the information. He can apply it. And uh, he's somebody that I think right away will, will understand the, the physicality and the mental side that I think is so needed as an offensive lineman. Uh, what can you tell us about him personally? What is he into? Do you, can you tell us a little bit about the, the Kenyon Green off the field that maybe we will get to know a little bit as, as Texans fans? I, I don't know if I know that side of him very well, to be honest with you. I do know he's very soft-spoken, nice kid um, that just likes to go to work, right? And when there's something that needs to be done at practice, he's the one who's, who's going to get it done. Definitely one of the team leaders. Uh, away from the field, you know, it's a little different in the college ranks. Uh, we don't get to get a lot of one-on-one time with these guys like we can with the Texans locker room. And in and, and years past, I know it's changed a little bit since COVID. Uh, so we don't get to know them as much. Uh, NIL has certainly changed that a little bit. Um, our our co-owner, Billy Lucci, has done several interviews with Kenyon Green, gotten to know him. But me personally, I, I can't tell you what he's into. I just know he's into football. And as Jimbo Fisher likes to say, he likes to play ball. And he definitely likes to play ball. Yeah, and the pandemic has been going on sort of – uh, still a little bit over the last couple of years, even since you've been there. So I know it's tough to to really uh, connect with these guys uh, because of that as well. And, you know, you've watched uh, the Texans a lot over the last decade. Just as far as the Texans are concerned, what do you think about what Casario is doing and how he's constructing the team and uh, this particular draft? Did you like what they did? I did like what they did. I think they had an excellent draft, but time will tell. I don't think we ever know. Year, the day after the draft, a week after the draft, right? It takes three, four years, just like a recruiting class to really know how good of a job they did. I will tell you, my opinion of the whole situation has changed considerably. When they drafted Kenyon Green, there was a part of me that was so excited for the Texans. And there was a part of me that was like, it's going to the freaking Texans. Like they have not had a good decade and they are not run the right way. Well, things feel different after this draft. Um, and again, um, the first hire that Casario made, you know, um, was not the best hire. And the draft last year was okay. Uh, but I feel like this draft has been excellent. Um, it's been uh, the kind of a lot of SEC players, a lot of players that we know from watching games on Saturdays, like names that stick out to you. Um, and I know not a, a lot of offensive linemen are flashy, but Kenyon Green is a name that beyond the Texas A&M circle uh, fans knew with the kind of offense that uh, and the running ability that A&M has had in years past. So, I think the, the Texans seem to be going in the right direction. I think they have um, a, a nice little nucleus that they built this year, but it's still several years away. Uh, I just hope that when we are three, four years away from now, we're, we're thinking about they've got their quarterback, they've got their offensive line, they've got their running back, and, and their defense is in, in a good place. Uh, you, I assume, still communicate with some of the people that cover the Texans on a regular basis. It had gotten pretty weird by the time Casario had gotten hired. Do you feel like the temperature's kind of cooled a little bit and maybe it's more back to business as usual? I mean, what's the feeling with where the Texans organization is now as compared to, say, a year ago and with the hiring of, of Levy Smith as well? So a year ago, I was still involved um, and it was a low point. And I would say, and there's been a lot of lows recently. And I would say even, and I and I stayed away when I left, Houston. I kept my eye on the Texans, but I didn't really um, keep the tabs that I, that I once had because I was so focused on the gig that I had now. But I kept on seeing the same kind of negativity, the same kind of apathy around the team all season long. And then the Deshaun Watson moment, or 
uh, year, I should say, really pulled the franchise down. But I think the moment they made the trade, it's like they turned the page. Fans started to turn the page, and I know some still want Deshaun around, but fans were able to turn the page, and then making some of these acquisitions and these draft picks certainly helped change the, the narrative a little bit. I'm still in a wait-and-see mode. I don't know. Um, bec- and, and I think it's, I have a hard time being patient because I felt like I've been patient for a long time. Uh, so uh, I'm going to wait and see. I'm cautiously optimistic, but I still know like it's going to be – this is not a team that's going to win nine games this year. This is still a team that's very far away. And if Davis Mills turns out to be a great quarterback, great. They, you know, expediate that. If they're looking for a quarterback next year in the draft, got to wait another year. Let's get back to the Aggies for a second because I heard Billy Lucci tell you that he thought overall the Aggies draft was disappointing. Uh, what do you think about that? Is, th- is that fair? It's disappointing, um, but I, I heard a phrase this way actually today on the show that all those, all the Aggies that we thought could get drafted all got jobs. They all got invites, right? So that, that says something. Uh, Jalen Watermeyer not getting drafted. He had a bad year last year. He could have used another year. But a year ago, he was considered a first three-round pick tight end. Uh, Isaiah Spiller going in the fourth round or, a, yeah, fourth round. Third round? Fourth round. Fourth round, right there. Um, he, he, you know, running backs, you know, they, they don't get drafted that high. Uh, Michael Clemens, to me, getting drafted in the fourth round. This is a guy who was a Juco transfer with no stars, worked his way up and gets drafted in the fourth round by the, for the New York Jets. So um, th- there is development there, but the Aggies did have a poor season from a record point of view, uh, only winning eight games last year. There's a reason Georgia had 15 guys drafted. They won the national championship. They're the hot team out there. So, uh, unhappy with four, yes, but um, there's a couple of tweeners out there that could have been drafted. Leon O'Neill could have been drafted. Aaron Hansford could have been drafted. Just wasn't their day. What do you think about the Aggies football offseason in general, recruiting transfers? You know, how has it looked? Oh, uh, well, recruiting the number one recruiting class ever in any, any team has ever done. And, and that's, I think, phenomenal. And one thing that people, I, I think, fail to realize is the amount of Houston talent that they picked up. I don't have the exact number in front of me, Robert, but I do know that um, at one point when they were signing all these five stars, they would have had just by signing Houston players, the Aggies draft class, well, excuse me, recruiting class would have been the 11th best in the country just by using Houston, just that number. So that just tells you the kind of star power that you have in your backyard there. And then you get guys from all around the country and Evan Stewart in Dallas and you get uh, guys in Florida and you get guys in Washington. Like, I mean, they were able to become, I think A&M entering the SEC and Jimbo Fisher meeting this team and, and having the Orange Bowl success from a couple of years ago has made them a, a more of a national brand. Playing in the SEC certainly has a lot to do with that. And, and winning the Alabama game put them on a, on a different level. They got a lot of young talent. Um, can they win 10, 11 games this year? They can if, if, the, if the young talent can mature quickly. A lot of people are pointing at 2023 as a year of them really being a, a team that can win 12 games, 11 games. But I think this year, if they get good quarterback play, um, double-digit victory is certainly uh, doable. I was going to ask you that because it always comes back to that, whether it's the NFL or college, it's the quarterback. Uh, how do you feel about where they are at quarterback right now? I'm going to tell you this. So a lot of people are down on what the Aggies did last year, but I, I'm and I'm and I'm asking this to everybody: How many programs can withstand losing their starting quarterback? They're starting center, um, a, a wide receiver, two cornerbacks, and still have um, a 10-win season. All right, This team actually, in my opinion, should have won at the very minimum nine games. If you remember the LSU game on the last possession, they punted the ball. They stripped the ball from LSU. 
and the game should have been over. They would have won. They did not give them the strip. LSU gets the ball. They scored a beautiful touchdown for Max Johnson. So this team was very close last year. They lost a very close game to Ole Miss. They lost a very close game to Arkansas. Um, and they lost a very close game to Mississippi State. Still 8-4, and four, not good enough. The big issue last year, I think, was the injuries and quarterback play. Zach Calzado was amazing on one night against Alabama and okay throughout the season. Uh, they got three capable quarterbacks this year. Connor Wigman is a, uh, a freshman who is the future of this program. He's going to be great. Um, the highest uh, quarterback in Texas coming into one place. I think him and Quinn Ewers, there's going to be some amazing battles. Um, you got Max Johnson who had a quietly a very efficient year last year at LSU, 27 touchdowns, six interceptions, I think he had. And you got Haynes King, who was supposed to be the starter last year, who got hurt in the fifth quarter that he played there in, in the Colorado game there in the second half, the second quarter. So um, I think because of quarterback play, that kind of competition, they're going to be better no matter what, just because of the three guys they have in there. Haynes King kind of expected to be the guy, uh, but Max Johnson is certainly making some noise. How do you feel about these new NIL rules and the transfer stuff, all of that? How, how is that affecting A&M? Has it been an overall positive? And do you feel like this is a good thing, what's been going on? Can I say both? Yes and no. Like, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, it's what I don't like is there are no guardrails. There's no parameters in place. I don't like that people can transfer and NIL be a reason that they transfer, that there's tampering going on, that a kid can get on campus. The coach can bench him that day. And he's like, you know what? I'm leaving. I got a guy, a coach there across the street that's offering me $500,000 to go there. So there, there's, but I do think these players should be compensated. Um, their name and their, their image is worth a lot, um, but they need to police it some way. And I think until they figure that out, and I hate having NIL in conjunction with the no transfer or the transfer policy without having to wait a year. I think those things combined together, I don't like. Um, I, I would love for there to be a world where if you are participating in NIL at a certain level, uh, maybe you forfeit your um, ability to transfer, um, at least without the penalty. Um, I think the penalty would make people stay, stick around a little bit longer, or maybe there's some some parameters in place that the college football playoffs were tied to how you partake in NIL and whatnot for you to be able to have a program that qualifies for it. There's certain rules you have to play by. And if you don't play by those rules, you don't get invited to the tournament. Have you heard any buzz about any of these rules changing or them trying to do anything different? Because it just seems like right now the NCAA doesn't care what's going on. Well, I, I don't think it's the NCAA that's going to get it done. That's a, uh, and I don't even know if the NCAA is going to be policing football here in the future. But yeah, there's there's words. First off, you hear from coaches all the time. Jimbo Fisher spoke yesterday at the touchdown club. Uh, Nick Saban has talked about it. Daryl Sweeney has talked about it. Several coaches, high-profile coaches and administrators have talked about it. Um, you have the uh, AD from Ohio State. He talked about how there needs to be some reform. So yes, there is talk about it. And the uh, SEC commissioner, Greg Sankey, and the Pac-12 commissioner uh, today are in Washington asking for help uh, on NIL and how they can reform it. So yeah, I do think there is talk and I do think we're going to get some kind of resolution. I just don't know when. Well, it was great to get your insight on Kenyon Green. Tell people what's going on with Texags and uh, where they can find all the info and, and what all is, you know, just new and fun over there. Yeah, so uh, if you're an Aggie fan, you know about Texags because we're the number one source for all your Aggie news. Billy Lucci's as connected as they come. I host the uh, TV and radio show, and we do several other shows. We're on TV locally. We're on YouTube. We're on all the social media channels. So um, we, we do good stuff. We try to bring I, – I went to A&M, so to me it was a natural fit. 
but it's a, it's a great company. And uh, as much as I do miss my Houston sports, I can now watch Houston sports as a fan, not necessarily have to sit in a press conference and talk to coaches. It's been a while since you were in College Station. I mean, does it feel weird? Has it, what's it been like to, to, to be back there? Is it a lot different than you remember? Yeah, it's different. It was a small town. And for many people in Houston, it's still a small town, but it's not the small town I lived in. We've got all the restaurants. We've got the Lupe's. We've got Gringos coming up. We've got everything. We've got, but for me, my life has not really changed that much. My life is work and kids' activities in church and, you know, rinse and repeat, right? That's, that's what we do. Um, and we did that when we lived in Sugarland and we're doing that here in College Station. So my life, other than having some nights off and some uh, weekends off, is, is pretty much the same. Well, thanks so much for all the inside info, David. It was great to catch up with you and looking forward to Kenyon Green coming to Houston, suiting it up for the Texans and hopefully better offensive line play, please. Yeah, it's coming, my friend. Thanks for having me. Joining me is Inside the Gridiron podcast host, Jack Borowski, who wrote a real interesting piece for Sports Illustrated on Texans second round pick Jalen Petrie, the safety out of Baylor. Great to have you on the show, Jack. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. This is actually the highest the Texans have ever drafted a safety, Jack. So we hope they got this one right. In your analysis of Petrie a few months ago, you made a comparison for him. Tell us which NFL safety you compared him to and why. Yeah, uh, Javon Holland, uh, who went to Oregon, was in this past draft. The Dolphins took him, you know, a few picks before Petrie went in this year's draft. So around the same range, both top 50 picks. You know, and Holland coming out, he was uh, an interesting prospect because he played as a freshman and then took a leap as a sophomore at Oregon, but, you know, opted out his junior season. So we didn't get to see film from that year, but based off his sophomore film, you know, the guy does everything that Petrie does well. You know, they play all over the field, wherever they ask. It's it's almost like they're an extension of the coach out there. You know, everyone always talks about, you know, the middle linebackers, the, the, the quarterback of the defense. But I think the two of them are essentially the quarterbacks of their defenses and how they're always one step uh, ahead of the offense. You know, the versatility that they possess, they can play deep free safety, they can play quarters, you know, they can line up in the box, they can, you know, they can cover tight ends, they can cover slot receivers. I truly felt they can do anything defensively. It's why I was so high on, on, on the both of them. And Holland came in a, as a rookie and, and was, you know, arguably one of the best safeties we've seen in, in recent memory um, at, at such a young age and is going to be a star for years to come. You know, the reason why both of them didn't go in the first round, you know, it, Holland's got a little bit better size, but um, it, it really just came down to, you know, positional value. Um, but, you know, both of them are, are, are really talented. And, you know, it's why I think, you know, Petrie is going to be able to step in day one and start um, similar to how Holland did and, and excel in whatever a defense uh, asked of him. Yeah, I want to get back to that versatility you mentioned, but um, speaking to his second round and where he was picked, you said there wasn't another player in the nation who had his physicality and tenacity on the field. His motor was unmatched. I'm quoting you from your article. How do you think he compares to the first safety taken in the draft, Kyle Hamilton? Uh, with Hamilton, you know, the biggest difference, Hamilton is 6'4", looks like he was built in a lab. You know, if you just took everything that you want in a football player, it would look like Kyle Hamilton. Uh, the only reason he fell to 14 was because he, he ran slow in his 40, 
But, uh, you know, if we're comparing, you know, safeties here, Harrison Smith, who uh, went to Notre Dame, ran really slow in the 40 and, and ended up being, you know, now he's, he's one of the top safeties in the NFL, similar to what Hamilton would be. You know, if, if you compare the two, uh, I, I just think it's, just, you know, Hamilton, his football IQ is up there with some of the best of all time, in my opinion. I just he sees the game at a different level. His range is unheard of. He he can cover literally anyone. He's going to be a tight end eraser from day one. But I, I think it's interesting because both of them don't have a profound role. Like, hey, this guy is just a deep free safety, or this guy is just you know a, a nickel, whatever. Um, position specifically that, that you think they'll play at the next level, which is why, you know, obviously Hamilton is the easy one to project. Like he's going to be the best safety in the class, but there's no reason that Petrie won't be. Um, yeah, I think both of them, Hamilton just has freaks, freakish size, freakish length ball production um, was off the charts and, you know, you know, was the the guy at, at Notre Dame, a younger player uh, than Petrie, but you know, my grades weren't incredibly different where, you know, I, you know, 30 picks later, um, Petrie went, uh, yeah, I, th- I think that they're both going to find a, a lot of success. And, you know, I like the value better at that, you know, in the middle of the second round with Petrie than I do with, uh, you know, Hamilton at, at 14, but I think both are going to be great players in, in the NFL. It's interesting because we got a guy down the street here, Lance Sirline, really well-respected in Houston, is a longtime radio personality, of course, writes for NFL.com. In his analysis of Petrie, he projected him in the third round, a couple of weaknesses on his scouting report. Just want to get your thoughts on them. Um, he said that, you know, it was Jalen doesn't have enough pure speed to be an NFL safety. He's got a little concern about him covering guys in space. What, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I wasn't as concerned as Lance was about the speed because when you play a step up the offense, it, it tends to just make up for things. You know, if if Petrie went out there and I was like, hey, he looks a little bit lost, that's when that speed becomes a much greater concern. When a guy has the football IQ that, as you know, we talk about a comparison, you know, wide receivers can run four fours, but if they don't understand the playbook, they end up running four eights out on the field. Um, so, you know, Petrie's speed, I, I, I think, is helped out by how smart he is. He's not the fastest guy in the world, you know, similar to, to Hamilton. The two, they're, they're not 4-3 guys like Lewis Seen or Daxton Hill, but where they make up for that and where Petrie does is just how smart he is and understanding of offenses and diagnosis things early. The instincts are off the charts. But, um, yeah, the, the speed, he's not super fast, you know. That's, he's just not. But we've seen a, a number of safeties succeed at the next level who, who aren't very fast. So, yeah, it's, it's a weakness. Uh, obviously, it's something you'd love for every guy to run, uh, what Lewis Seen did or what Daxton Hill did. They're just, you know, different um, body types and, and different players. But, um, yeah, if there were, you know, at, at times, you know, in coverage, it, it wasn't always perfect. But for the most part, uh, I, I didn't think of it to, to be something of, of a concern for Petrie. You know what? It, it's amazing what a difference a coach can make. And I just want to get your thoughts on what Dave Aranda brought because Petrie starts off as a linebacker at Baylor and then they created this position. And I heard Petrie describe it in an interview called the star at Baylor where he's part safety, nickel corner, linebacker, defensive end, all that rolled into one. What do you think Aranda meant for, you know, basically bolting him into uh, sort of st- stardom, I guess, as a safety, you know, uh, b- coming from linebacker. 
Yeah, you know, Petrie, you know, I, I interviewed him a couple of years back um, and, and we talked about, you know, where he was at, you know, and, you know, he, he was a good linebacker, you know, and, and watching his film, even, you know, the, his 2020 tape, you know, it was a COVID season. So, you know, things were impacted, you know, he, he was good and, you know, Aranda was there and it, and it really helped. And then this year, you know, it, it just, you know, it, it takes off. Um, be, he looked like a new player. Um, you know, you, you're comfortable in, in that position that you are now playing. Uh, you know, his linebacker tape was nothing special. It took a little while for him to develop into the player he was. You know, even based off of last year's film, I wasn't sitting there saying this kid is a lock to go in the first three round. You know, I liked him a lot, but, you know, it's like, all right, I, I don't fully know exactly. And then, you know, now, you know, his, his final season at Baylor, he was really comfortable in Aranda's defense. Aranda let him, ro- like, basically said, hey, you're our best player go make plays. And he did that uh, on a consistent basis. You know, it was interesting to, you know, see because Aranda came from LSU and, and I didn't see that kind of success um, from, from their linebacking course that, that I necessarily saw from Petrie, obviously, you, you know, LSU, they, they've had a number of prospects, but the impact, um, you know, even Terrell Bernard, who um, went in the third round from Baylor, I didn't see that kind of impact that Aranda had, um, you know, with regard to, you know, ha- how he handled Petrie. And I-, I thought he did an incredible job. And it's probably one of the main reasons he went as high as he did. He got a master's degree in educational psychology while at Baylor, was on the Big 12 Commissioner's Honor Roll, not just football IQ with Petrie. And what's amazing, Jack, is he, he only got two major scholarship offers out of Stafford High School here in Houston, uh, actually played with my co under my coach uh, th- that was at my old high school uh, before he was at uh, Petrie's high school. So uh, Ron counter only got scholarships from SMU and Baylor said that the university of Houston actually made a last second run at him when the art Bryles mess went down at Baylor, right. As he was about to start there, Jack, I, I tend to love those guys that have that chip on their shoulder because they had been overlooked by everybody. Yeah, no, definitely. I I think that's that plays into you know everything. You know, sometimes when you get guys who are five star recruits coming out of high school, you know they're bigger, faster, stronger. Um, at, at a younger age, they go to an Alabama and then they get boosted up because of you know the players they're playing around, and then they go to the NFL and they don't have as much success. You know, it, it takes hard hard work. You know, there's there's little things. You know, people don't always understand, and it goes back to the evaluation. It's you know. You can watch a guy on film and you see, hey, he's great. Um, but it, 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 it narrows down to, you know, all right, what is he going to do off the field? How is he going to improve? And we saw Petrie improve drastically over the course of his career. Uh, you know, he, he's a hard worker. He's smart. All the things that teams are going to love. I mean, they, they, they had a home run pick in him. And, you know, that goes back to where, where you came from. You know, you have that chip on your shoulder that, you know, you were doubting. And he was even doubted in college. You know, it wasn't like he came into the season thought of to be the second round prospect, you know, which a lot of these other safeties were. And, you know, I think you get a chip on your shoulder, even, you know, the safeties who went in the first round, um, you know, three of them this year, I'm sure he's got a chip on his shoulder there thinking, Hey, I'm better than the three, three of these guys. So I I think that all plays into everything, you know, you know, boils down to heart and he definitely has it and he's going to be, you know, a culture changer for the Texans, which is something they need. Yeah. Very interesting guy says he's inspired by four people. You're thinking maybe football players, but Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, Jay-Z and the fourth guy 
Very interesting. Former Texan Tyron Matthew. And I think Matthew's real interesting because when I hear him described as a safety, uh, Petrie, he sounds similar to Matthew's style. Definitely the leadership, intelligence, versatility, and personality. And Jack, I was uh, listening to Seth Payne yesterday, who's former Texan, covers the Texans now. And he said when he watches him, he sees a lot of Tyron Matthew in him. It's very interesting. Yeah, no, I, I think you, you get a mix of Tyron Matthews and Javon Hollins and, and you know, the, a lot of similar skill sets. It, it, it makes for, you know, those are good comparisons to have. You know, anyone who's compared to Tyron Matthew, but at certain points has been the best safety in the NFL, uh, you know, and he, he's had a tremendous amount of success wherever he's gone because of his versatility and how much he brings to the table. So, yeah, I, I think um, Texans really, you know, hit, hit a home run with the Petrie pick um, and, and brought in a guy who, you know, I, it, it, it's not crazy to think he could have a Tyron Matthew kind of kind of impact for, for the Texans. They're going to give him opportunities to play. They're, they're going to let him do a lot there. So um, there, there's no reason he can't be one of the best safeties in the NFL. Yeah, you and I were going to talk a couple of weeks ago, and I thought, well, a lot, not a lot of people are going to know about Petrie, but all of a sudden, you know, I'm reading John McClain, the former Texans beat writer for the Houston Chronicle, saying that he's been told Petrie's are already earning respect on and off the field from his coaches and teammates. McClain said, if he's not starting in the first game against the Colts, quote, I'll be stunned. And John McClain, you know, he's been around the game for quite a few years. And uh, Jack, I, I saw an interview with him the day before the draft where he was asked to sell himself. And he said, quote, he eats, breathes, and sleeps football. And when I saw that, I said, he might as well have put a sign on his chest that said, come get me, Nick Casario. Because, I mean, that's that's Nick Casario in five words right there. Nah, yeah, I think he's a perfect fit. You know, Patriots type. You want to talk about, like, you know, Brian Flores, um, you know, with, with the Dolphins took Javon Holland. That's a Patriots type of guy. You know, I'm, you know, I was surprised, like I wouldn't have been shocked if the Pats took him, you know, they had a, 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 you know, they had a number of safeties already on the roster, which is probably why they didn't. But uh, yeah, that's that Patriots mentality. And he's going to come in and, you know, granted, it's not like there's a tremendous amount of competition um, for him to see reps, but I, I think he's going to come in day one. And if we're looking at like, you know, the all rookie teams, um, you know, come January, February, I, think he could easily be on that you know I would be stunned if he's not a starter day one and one of the leaders of that defense early on in his career what did you think of Casario and the Texans draft overall did you have any thoughts after you know watching them go at it this year because we we really didn't get to see a ton of what they were going to do last year with so few picks but you know a lot more idea of where they are on strategy I think after watching a couple of drafts yeah, no, it was tough to really grade last year's draft. They weren't given a lot, and they had a lot of needs. They ended up taking Davis Mills, who, you know, if you want to talk about a third-round quarterback who, you know, showed something, you don't usually see that very often. You know, we'll see if he's a long-term starter, you know, but, you know, they they really, you know, upgraded their team, and I thought they had a pretty unique approach, you know, with that third pick in the draft, taking Stingley. You know, he's got a chance to easily be the best player in this class and the best cornerback in the NFL. Uh, it's the reason why he went third overall after two mediocre seasons is, you know, the natural tools are just special. He could be a lockdown cornerback one, you know, Kenyon green. I wasn't the biggest fan of that pick, especially trading back and taking him. Cause I thought, you know, after Hamilton, there was a little bit of a drop off 
in terms of prospects. I would have loved for them to have just, you know, maybe stood there and taken uh, a Jordan Davis, but Kenyon Green's got a chance to be a really long-term starter for them. He's super young. He's got power. He's athletic and he's, you know, played multiple years in the SEC as a starter and done very well. So that was a good pick. Then they go back, you know, get the Alabama receiver and John Mechie, who I think is a really solid player and, you know, is going to be good with Nico Collins long-term. I, I think that that he's very good. And then, you know, outside of Petrie, you then grab Christian Harris in the third and, um, you know, Damon Pierce in the fourth. I, I thought those were two. Uh, good, good value picks. And, you know, my day, uh, day three guy, whoever you like, Thomas Booker. Um, I, I thought that was a good pick too. So I, you know, it was like, you had high draft picks. I thought they did well with them. And, you know, I, I think this Texans team is moving in the right direction under him. We hope so. It, it sure would be fun to have a team to root for again, before we let you go, please tell us where all the Texans fans can find your work because you got a lot of irons in the fire. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, you, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Jack underscore Borowski. You know, all my work uh, on SI covering the draft, just type my name into the, uh, the box and you'll be able to find everything. And, you know, I, I cover, you know, mostly NFL draft stuff, but, you know, it's cool to look back, like, for example, with Jalen Petrie and see some of the work I did, you know, going into the season for for these rookies. Love the hustle, man. And thanks so much for giving us a few minutes and sharing your take on Jalen Petrie. It would be nice to have a safety that people are excited about here. It, we, we haven't had that much in, in, the, in the entire run of the Texans. So it is good to hear some good stuff from him. Thanks so much. Yeah, I appreciate it. Joining us to talk about the two Texans draft picks out of Alabama, John Mechie and Christian Harris, is Travis Ryer, who covers Alabama for Bama Online and the Talking Tide podcast. And in a busy summer, we really appreciate you coming on with us, Travis. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Always good to talk uh, football of any kind this time of year. Start uh, You start having the withdrawals a little bit, right? Yeah. And you know what? Having you on, I, I went into my archives and tried to grab something that I think you might appreciate. My first Alabama game was when I was nine years old. This is the program. Oh, wow. 1981 Cotton Bowl. It's Paul Bear Bryant for Alabama going up against Mike Singletary's Baylor team. Uh, was there with my dad when I was nine years old. So it goes back about 41 years for me now with Alabama and get, getting uh, them crossing paths with me down here in Houston. Yeah, Singletary went on to quite the career, didn't he? Uh, in the NFL, of course, with the Chicago Bears. Um, that was a highly anticipated matchup, as I recall. I think Alabama ended up winning that game rather handily. And then I believe the following year returned to Dallas and took on Texas in the Cotton Bowl. And that wasn't as a uh, memorable of a result for that Alabama team, maybe. Yeah, Baylor got a safety in the game that I was at. My dad was a Baylor grad. My, I had an aunt and uncle. Was Abercrombie the running back for Baylor? Uh, gosh, they had a good team, as I yeah. recall. Yeah, but it was pretty much a whitewash, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. It was It was a no contest. And uh, it was a great trip, though. It was like the f first time sure. we'd gone up to the Cotton Bowl, and, and that was a lot of fun. Uh, let, let's get to the, the current Bama guys down here in Houston, and I'll start off by asking about John Mechie the third, who tore his ACL in the SEC title game, as most people know. And before that, caught 96 catches, 1,142 yards, and eight touchdowns 
for Alabama. The Texans traded the 68th, 108th, and 124th picks to move up 24 spots in the draft and grab him. And Travis, I know you've seen your share of talent at Bama over the years. What can you tell us about Mechie and his development? Very productive over his final two seasons, as you know, over 150 catches between 2020 and 2021, uh, over 2,000 receiving yards. And that's impressive when you consider the guys he was working alongside of. 2020s paired with Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddell. Uh, that was a hell of a trio. And then this past season, Jamison Williams comes in from Ohio State and just has a huge season of his own. But, you know, John was a volume guy, I guess, especially in 2021. Uh, he was the guy that in certain situations you figured Bryce Young was going to look to in this most recent season, especially on extended plays. They seem to have a chemistry that worked well together in those situations, but an excellent route runner, a technician in a lot of ways. Maybe the thing I like about John the most is that he is tough. He plays with a physical edge. Um, I know there's Brandon Cooks there in Houston, so you've got a speed guy at one position, a couple of guys with the speed. John runs well enough when healthy, uh, but as a number two type, maybe more of a Z than an X at the next level, Easy to see him having a very productive career. You like the tangibles. Obviously, the injury wasn't ideal, but again, intangibly toughness. He played through an ankle situation in 2021, in 2020 that probably doesn't get talked about enough. Um, and then was very, very productive in 2021 before the unfortunate injury against Georgia in the SEC championship game. Yeah, a lot of excitement here with the Texans because you get somebody that they didn't have last year for Davis Mills, which is an outlet at the slot wide receiver, if he's healthy and ready to go. And that's, you know, what they think he can do. Are there weaknesses? Uh, did you see anything there that should concern Texans fans? Not really. You know, I think there'll be questions about how dynamic he is in terms of you know, beating one-on-one -on -one coverage and, and making defenses pay that look to do that with him. Uh, I think he can. Uh, there's just going to be as much as anything questions about where he's at coming off the injury. But again, I like the intangible so much with John that I don't worry about that in terms of what he's putting into rehab. And then the psychological aspect coming off an injury like that, that you see a lot of guys experience the uncertainty, maybe not the confidence, uh, you know, in the cutting ability and the route running because of that type of injury. I, I think John's the type that gets through that pretty quickly. And as soon as he's good to go, absolutely. Uh, whether it's in the slot, whether it's, you know, more of a Z, um, he's a guy that, that you can depend on. Uh, third downs, I think he's going to be very good. Um, and again, he's going to play with a physical edge that sort of belies his measurables. I think he's six foot, around 190 pounds, so he's not a little guy. Um, but he will bring that aspect to that rotation as well. Personally, his background, very unique. Born in Taiwan, mom is Taiwanese, dad is from Nigeria, family moved to Ghana, then Canada. Then he ends up playing high school ball in Maryland. Uh, what else do you know about him as a person? What, how was he thought of? Anything else that you can give us? No, I think that, you know, in his time at Alabama, you never heard really anything negative in, in relation to John. So when you talk about those red flags or potential boxes 
that you have to check as a draft prospect other than the injury. I think the Texans probably were very happy with the discovery process where he's concerned. So uh, by all accounts, um, a, a good teammate, a pleasurable guy to deal with from a media perspective. I think he is one of those guys. If you're the Texans, you want to try to get him out in front of your fan base as much as you possibly can. And as you outlined, just an incredible story, sort of his path to, uh, American college football and, you know, sort of going to the prep school route in some ways there at, at, at petty school and uh, look like he might be headed to Penn state or maybe Maryland, one of those programs up that way, but he lands at Alabama. Yeah. Brandon cooks said already with the Texans on reaction to him, he said, quote, that kid's special. You can just tell it. You know, when you talk with someone, you just get that feel about a guy, the way he goes about his business. And Travis Cook said he loved Mechie's attention to details. Yeah, that goes back to the sort of technician that I talked about earlier when it comes to route running. Um, and the things that you do see on extended plays, those don't just happen by circumstance or just by happenstance. Uh, those are things that he's willing to put the time in with a guy like Davis Mills. Mills probably not going to be as much of an out off-platform thrower as Bryce Young was at Alabama, but in those instances when you have to improvise, and that's sort of the bittersweet nature of his injury. You know, it was on a extended play where Bryce Young's going to make something happen with his legs. You know, John, I believe, was trying to, abbreviate his route so he could sort of either improvise and work himself open or provide some blocking for young on the play. And it's just a non-contact situation, but no, he definitely takes it very seriously. Uh, he's a fun guy to deal with, but don't mistake that for sort of a lackadaisical or lack of focus where his primary responsibilities are concerned. He, he gets the job done and he takes it very seriously. Let's move over to Christian Harris and the Texans trade up five spots in the third round to draft linebacker Christian Harris. Another time that they trade up for an Alabama guy and Levy Smith hugs Nick Casario when they did that. And just for some background on Christian Harris, Bama starter uh, for that 2020 championship, 79 tackles each of the last two seasons, 10 total sacks the last two years. What can we expect from him, Travis? A guy whose best football is still in front of him. You know, he came to Alabama in 2019 more as a defensive back who was looking to make the switch or the adjustment to not just linebacker, but inside linebacker. So uh, predominantly a weak side guy. They had worked him at the mic, so he does have some background there if eventually that's what the Texans need from him. In other words, he can run the show in terms of making calls and checks. Uh, I think he would be okay with that. They had Henry Toa Toa, Alabama, did come in from Tennessee. So that was probably a role that Christian was going to handle in 2021, if not for Toa Toa's uh, transfer. Uh, he is a guy, again, that is still learning in a lot of ways. 2019, he comes in as a true freshman with very limited experience, if any, at linebacker, you have a couple of injuries to Dylan Moses and Josh McMillan leading up to that season. Next thing you know, Christian Harris is in the starting lineup and really an every down guy at inside linebacker in a lot of ways to go along with Shane Lee that season. Then, you know, you saw in 2020, he continued to improve 
thought he really was playing his best football at the very end of his Alabama career. In the national championship game loss to Georgia, he had four tackles for loss, three sacks, forced a fumble. So statistically, anyway, you could say that Christian Harris went out with his very best performance. I was looking at what NFL.com's Lance Zerline wrote about his weaknesses. He said his instincts and field vision we're a little suspect and he could be exploited in the passing game, which is kind of interesting because you mentioned secondary in high school, he played safety in high school. So you would think uh, the passing game would be something that he would be comfortable with. Do you think that's a fair criticism? What did you see? That doesn't surprise me again, given that he's still evolving at the position, you know, he is still uh, learning. So there were times where whether it was instinctually or maybe, things happening a little fast for him given his lack of experience at that position we can talk about playing corner and covering people different deal in terms of what you're keen on and what you have to deal with post snap too at that position where pass coverage responsibilities are concerned so I think that was still a learning curve that he was dealing with he did make some plays Uh, he had the interception against Notre Dame in the college football playoff semifinal during the 2020 season where Michael Mayer considered to be one of the very best tight end prospects for this next, I believe, draft cycle. He, he undercut him, made a pick of Ian Book in that game. So there have been flashes of that. He can do it. Um, I think he can be an every down guy. If you want to play him at the Mac and the dime, you know, as the lone inside linebacker, he's done some of that at Alabama. So the potential is there. I, I think the the Texans, for where they got him, you know, is great value um, because, I, the, yes, I, I can see where they might expect him to be a significant contributor from day one. Um, but I think he's also in a spot where he'll probably have a little bit of time to continue to develop, which you know, a lot of guys like Christian Harris come into a program like Alabama as a true freshman. They redshirt. They don't even see the field. You know, and he played – as a starter, his first year really is a full-time linebacker at Alabama at the SEC level. Took some lumps. I think he was better for that in some ways, but no doubt he still has some some ceiling to reach there. So many good linebackers have come in through come through Alabama. You, you've seen some different guys. Where, where, where does he rank as far as talent goes and maybe physical potential of of, of uh, all the guys that you've seen? Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think. When you talk about translating towards the NFL, C.J. Mosley, of all those guys, might have been the best because C.J., you you talk instinctually uh, understanding how to play in coverage. That's something C.J. had from really day one at Alabama, let alone in the NFL. So, you know, I would say that's pretty much where it starts. I know Rolando McClain was a top 10 pick in 2010 and, you know, really had the potential to be a great Reuben Foster, some of the same issues. So uh, it's been a little bit of a of an up and down situation. Dante Hightower has been a very versatile player uh, at the NFL level. Um, Rashawn Evans, drafted by the Titans early, that didn't exactly pan out. You know, I think Christian probably for where he's at, again, in terms of his development, went about where he – should have gone in the draft in terms of what he can be. uh, I think he can play himself into more of that first, second round guy. And uh, the skill sets there for today's NFL, you know, he can run, he can play in space. um, He can become a better cover backer. Uh, 
Uh, it's just going to take a little more time, and I, I think the Texans understand that. From what I read, sounds like he's got a great work ethic from his mom. She earned three degrees in five years while holding a full-time job and told her kids, now you have to do it. And that's what uh, Christian took from that because Texans vet Christian Kirksey said Harris is quiet, doesn't say much, but said he's a sponge. He picks up things fast. And Travis, I read that Christian stayed late so often at Bama that his coaches joked that they'd have to give him his own office. <laughs> Yeah, I think he kind of had to, again, when you go back and consider the situation he was thrust into um, with those injuries in 2019. Um, but there's no doubt. I, he, he's like Mechie in a lot of ways, I would say. Um, and to get on the field and not just get on the field, but stay on the field at a place like Alabama, you have to be willing to put in the work because every day the competition on the practice field is unlike any you'll find in all of college football. So, you know, it was an opportunity that he was provided with early. Um, you know, Alabama for a year or two maybe didn't have the the recruiting at the inside linebacker position that they had grown accustomed to. They have since picked that back up in the last couple of years. But even without that, uh, in some situations, I, I thought Christian constantly worked uh, to get better at his craft. And again, I thought by the end of the 2021 season, you know, you were starting to see a guy, if he had come back for 2022, easily could have played himself into the first round. One non-Texans question on a, on a Bama guy, because I got to shoot his games in high school, and that's Jalen Hurts. And, you know, we're going to see him, the Texans are going to see him this year with the Eagles uh, at quarterback. What did you think of, of Jalen when he was there, there and, and, and how was he thought of by the, the Bama fans and, and, and all the people that, uh, you know, were, were behind him. Jalen had this feeling of a pro from day one in terms of how he went about his business. Maybe not so much in terms of polish, throwing the football, things like that, but how he conducted himself and the poise and the calmness that he displayed and really every aspect. Think about it. This guy, and he was also, I think, just turned 17, that's what people forget about with Jalen Hurts. People think about Jalen and Tua, and they fail to realize that Tua is actually older than Jalen, and he came in a year after Jalen. So Jalen was an especially young player when he got to Alabama and took him about a quarter of that 2016, I guess it was, season opener to take over as the starter. And you know, just a, a really good teammate, a very, very talented individual. Uh, you talk about work ethic and commitment to being great. That's Jalen. Uh, I know the Alabama fan base was sad to see him move on to Oklahoma, but Tua was not going to be denied at that point, and especially with the weapons they had accumulated around the quarterback position. But I think in the eyes of the Alabama fan base, typically when a guy leaves, well, he's gone. There, there's not sort of a sentimentality there or a, a love or an appreciation that lingers or a rooting interest in that individual at their next stop. That was absolutely the case with Jalen. Uh, there's not a, an Alabama fan I'm aware of that didn't want to see him do well in Norman, and he did that. And so, um, you know, I think it's an all's well that ends well situation and you know, I think Alabama fans are still excited about Jalen, especially with 
you know, the re- reunion between himself and Devontae there in Philadelphia, and, you know, hope he really continues to, to stick in there and, and be the guy for the Eagles. I've got a cousin here in Houston that's a big Alabama fan because he went to school there and he also tailgates at Texans game. So there's Bama fans here for sure. If we have any Texans fans who want to keep up with you guys, where, where can they find your work? Well, we're easy to find. We're at BamaOnline.com. We're part of the 247sports.com network. So whether you go to BamaOnline.com or Alabama.247sports.com, you're going to catch up with us. And, and we have a premium message board, the roundtable, that we spend a lot of time on if you're an Alabama fan or fan of college football, football in general, sports in general. I think uh, pop culture a lot of times you're going to find there on the roundtable. You can catch me on Twitter at Travis Ryer, T-R-A-V-I-S-R-E-I-E-R. I also am involved with the Bama Online Podcast, which you can find anywhere you consume pods, Talking Tide Podcast, and uh, Second Helping, which is more of an SEC-centric pod. So plenty going on, plenty of places you can catch me and catch us at Bama Online. Yeah, and if there's anything that I missed about Metier Harris that you want to ask Travis Find him on Twitter. Ask him some questions. Uh, I'm sure he would love to hear from you. And uh, just can't thank you enough. Thanks so much for taking the time right in the middle of uh, the summer season. You're, you're sort of on vacation, as we just found out as we started talking. And I really appreciate <laughs> you coming on the show, Travis. Yeah, I kind of got the shining effect behind me with the miniature hallway. But, you know, vacation <laughs> condos, they kind of are their own deal. But I appreciate it, Robert. And I uh, look forward to to catching more of your stuff down the road as well. And I'd like to welcome back to the show NFL draft expert Joe DeLeon, who hosts the NFL Draft Prospects podcast with Ryan Roberts. And it's great to have you back, Joe. And thanks for being kind enough to give us a little of your time. Of course. Yeah, I was just saying that this this is a little bit of a calmer week than last week, but it, it's still fun to, to talk about these prospects now that we know where they're going, there's a lot uh, less uh, complications with trying to guess these guys. It's a, it's a lot less projection. And we can actually talk about how these players will fit on these rosters and some of the expectations we could have for them early on in their careers. Yeah, I'm so confident. I've got the Super Bowl uh, Texans uh, banner in front of the stadium behind me in that photo. This That's from many years ago, but uh, yeah, not that confident really. But um, (laughs) when we did this a couple of months ago, Joe, you thought the Texans had to draft Thibodeau if he was available. You were very high on Kyle Hamilton. They actually had two chances at Kyle. They had a chance at Thibodeau, didn't do it. What did you think about Derek Stingley? Yeah, no, I, I don't think that this was a bad pick. I was legitimately not shocked, but not expecting him to be the first corner off the board. Based on what we got from him this this past season where he played a limited number of games, it ended short because of an injury, the inconsistent play where he had that amazing 2019 year, and then a bit of trouble staying on the field, and then also not playing at that same level as his first season for the remaining parts of his career at LSU – I was expecting that teams, based on how they usually react to stuff like that, that they might hold off on a guy like Derek Stingley. I thought that if anyone was going to tumble, it was going to be Derek Stingley and not Andrew Booth Jr. But here we are. We have 
Stingley slotting at three, and I think that he fits perfectly with this with this Texans defense. He is a very, very athletic corner. He's got great length, and I think if you can tap into what he did early on in his career, which is still there, it's not like he suffered some crazy injury like Justin Ross did that is going to prevent him from getting back to where he was. It was just a foot injury. He was dealing with a foot injury, and he was dealing with – coaching issues and and a transition away from Ed Ogeron, a lot of different circumstances that he couldn't really control. So all that stuff, you know, putting that behind him, I think that we can tap into his full potential and see what the Texans can get out of him. Did you have a preference between him and sauce? I like Derek Stingley better than I like sauce Gardner, but I just thought because sauce Gardner had less question marks about him, he was going to be, that first corner taken just because of the circumstances, because there weren't any question marks about sauce Gardner. We we knew that he was available. He was fully healthy. He was dominant last year, albeit against lesser competition. Um, But I I think it's like a one, a one B situation. If you think that you can get what you got or what Derek Stingley did early on in his career, if you think you can get that out of him, it's going to be a great pick. I'd like to go through the first few picks and just get your quick reaction from each before we get your big picture thoughts on the Texans draft and Kenyon green. They decide to trade down. They grabbed Kenyon green with that pick a couple, a couple picks lower than they had. What did you think of him? Yeah, I'm actually a huge fan of Kenyon green. And there was some possibility that, that he was going to slide. There was potential of him having some medicals issues in his medical rechecks uh, but he ended up being completely fine, apparently, for him to get selected 15th overall. I was really high on him at the beginning of the cycle. I was even high on him before, during last cycle, when I was watching some Alabama tape, and he caught my attention. I was like, who, who is this interior offensive lineman? Because he is mauling people. He's got that positional versatility. He can play tackle if they want to ask him to. He's probably better off playing guard but he has the experience playing tackle this past year for Texas A&M. What you're going to get out of him is a very uh, aggressive, uh, very strong run-blocking interior offensive lineman. And I also really did feel that the Texans needed to address offensive line at some point early on in this draft. And to get the best available interior offensive lineman in Kenyon Green, I think is a total slam dunk for this team. Yeah, I pointed out to our Twitter followers that the last two times a Houston NFL team picked a guard was almost 40 years ago. And back to back, the Oilers picked a couple of guys named Mike Munchak and Bruce Matthews. <laughs> uh, it went pretty well with those two guys. Uh, Hall of Fame. Yeah, those guys are OK. <laughs> uh, Kyle Hamilton was the number one safety on your board. Most boards. Uh, Jalen Petrie was who they chose in the second round. Is there a huge difference between those two guys? And did you like that pick? Yeah, I, I think it's it, it goes without saying that there is a huge difference. Uh, I firmly thought that Kyle Hamilton was not only the best safety in this class, but he was the best prospect in this class. Just a unique physical build at six foot four, two twenty five. Him landing in Baltimore, by the way, is is completely scary. But that's a complete separate issue to see what he's going to become with the Baltimore Ravens. Petrie, though, is great, and I think he was selected at a good spot that made a lot of sense for him uh, being selected at that fifth pick in the second round. I think that they picked him before Jaquan Brisker, if I remember off the top of my head, but I think with what they're looking for in a safety, he, he makes a lot of sense. 
especially with Dax Hill and Lewis Seen already being selected ahead of him. Petrie was somebody who was rising throughout the cycle at the combine and the senior bowl. So I think this is a really strong pick. And it's kind of funny that we're, we saw a lot of these selections that the, the Texans decided to go with guys that played at relatively local schools or, or schools that are in Texas. And, and that's always going to be a nice culture fit for a guy like that. Next, they picked John Mechie. And, and, and this is, it feels like a very Nick Casario move because he was with the Patriots for all those years with Belichick and they put a lot of emphasis on the slot receiver. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm so shocked that their next two picks were, were Alabama players. And of course, uh, <laughs> so I, like I did all of these, these radio hits leading up to it and a lot of Raiders ones coincidentally, and they were asking me about their new GM and like what to expect, what kind of guys are going to draft. I, I should have been saying that they're just going to draft a bunch of Alabama players because that's, that's what we get with all these disciples. And what Bill Belichick loves to do is draft Alabama players. There's value in selecting guys that come from good, good programs with, a, with an elite coach like Nick Saban, who has developed high character guys that are going to show up and work. Now, John Mechie, to me, I, I didn't have him as one of my highest receivers. I, I thought that George Pickens and Christian Watson, who ended up, I think, getting selected before him, were better options. But he's still a, a good, strong receiver. Recovering from the injury that he suffered at the end of the season is going to be priority one and making sure that he's back at full strength because dealing with the injury that he dealt with um, obviously takes some time to get back to that, that full speed. But he's a good possession receiver. He's an underrated athlete. I don't think we should expect him to be a 1,500-yard receiver, but he could provide nice value uh, you know, as an eventual wide receiver two or wide receiver three, once they build out the rest of this, this receiver group. It feels like a safety blanket for Davis Mills, your young quarterback right. that you're trying to really help out as much as possible, right? Yeah, you, you want to add, and, and that's why I like a lot, a lot of these picks and the approach for these picks that the Texans had. You've got a young quarterback and you're trying to get as much out of him as possible. So what you do is you draft an offensive lineman early. You draft a receiver pretty early as well you want to protect him you want to give him options and I think that that safety blanket description is a really good way of describing him and that's what he can be once he's back on the field and and fully healthy from the projections that I saw it sounds like Christian Harris the next pick was probably the biggest reach of the Texans draft choices what did you think about that yeah reach is uh, frankly an understatement for, for me um I'm not a fan of Christian Harris and the past couple guys, the, these linebackers from Alabama have been a bit underwhelming because they're really highly rated recruits. And at the beginning of the cycle, we're always going to hype up the Alabama defenders. There's more value in the defensive linemen than there are in these linebackers. And the problems that we saw with Dylan Moses, similar to the issues that we see with Christian Harris, Christian Harris, good athlete, or a decent athlete for a linebacker moves well, but I just don't see that, that processing ability. I don't see that quick trigger that um, the ability to understand everything that's going on in front of him at a quick pace and then attack the football, know where he needs to go. He always feels like a second behind. And that's something that if you don't have that as a linebacker, it really doesn't click after a period of time. Like if you have the athleticism and you can move Sometimes these guys just don't catch up to that. And you would hope that he can figure out and process quicker. 
but more often than not, it just, it usually doesn't work out. It's kind of like what we see with quarterbacks where yes, you can get smarter. Yes. You can improve your knowledge of the game and yes, you can slow down the speed of the game around you. But if you just don't have that instinct and it shows up on tape, it's not going to show up three to four years into their career. And that that's what worries me a little bit about Christian Harris. One of the things that we said on the podcast is Levy and Casario seem to be pretty connected on a lot of this stuff and Levy uh, very much involved from what we can tell and Levy knows defense. And there was a big bro hug after uh, that pick between Casario and Levy Smith. So take it for what it's worth, Joe, but I just, <laughs> I'll point that out with, with that choice. Right. Uh, he was probably the least popular by draft experts uh, of the picks. The most popular Damian Pierce. W- what did you think of that? Yeah. Damian Pierce is a really underrated running back in this class. He is a tough dude. There's that clip of him losing his helmet and then still charging ahead to to try and pick up more yards after he lost his helmet. Now you legally can't do that. And there was a, a whistle blown for that, but still you're getting a really tough kid who provides value as a blocker. He provides value as a receiver and all the things that he can do, do that versatility uh, is going to be an asset for this, this Texans running back room. I love the pick. I know that there are uh, some some shuffling that needs to to go down with that with that Texans running back room with all the different guys that they've brought in over the past couple of years. I know that it's thinned out a little bit since last season, but I think Damian Pierce, you give him a little bit of time, maybe a year or so, and he could he could really carve out a nice role on this team. Yeah, that's somebody that they really could use a hit there because the the running back core has been pretty pathetic over the last yeah. few years. Uh, the, the next three picks. Instead of asking you about them individually, to me, there's there's nothing tremendously exciting about them. Uh, Thomas Booker, uh, Tegan Kitariano, I hope I got his name right, and Austin DeCulis. <laughs> Are any of those guys guys that we should be excited about, or what did you think of those three? Yeah, I actually love Thomas Booker. I, I think he is potentially a sleeper in this in this class as a, as a defensive lineman uh, coming out of Stanford. I mean, he's, he's got good size. He's got underrated athleticism. I, I think if you can tap into that, he could end up becoming a, a high-quality starter for this Texans defensive line. That, that out of the, the three that you just mentioned, that Thomas Booker pick, uh, I think was, was very, very underrated, and I think more people should be talking about it. The other two guys, though, I, I, you know, they're, they're decent picks, probably more for depth, but uh, I'm more excited about that, that Booker selection out of anything. Tegan kind of made me laugh because the Texans have made it now a yearly thing with a tight end. This is five and five years for them. <laughs> yeah. You never know what you get, you would get out of a guy like that, but it's, I, I, yeah, I, I totally understand that. Just keep adding more and more tight ends and maybe one of them sticks and does something. Yeah. We're still waiting for that. But I mean, I, I, actually last year we thought Brevin Jordan showed some flashes uh, when he got right. his chance about, you know, several games into the season, they really got his feet wet. Was there anything you gleaned from Casario's philosophy after watching him in this draft? And now we've got a couple of drafts. I mean, last year didn't get a whole lot of picks this year. You saw him with more picks. You know, the big thing for this draft for a lot of us was SEC, SEC, SEC. I mean, it was just, they kept coming at us. Yeah. The, the one thing I feel like we, we take away from how Casario is, is building this roster it feels like his approach is that he he wants to get good football players. He wants to get guys that he can build, have building blocks at each position group. And like last year, them drafting Davis Mills 
uh, and, and Nico Collins. Like those are, those are high upside players. Same thing with Brevin Jordan. Those are all high upside players. Those are guys that maybe they don't hit right now, but you give them a little bit of time and they can, they can turn into something. That was what was talked about with all those guys. And I think you're getting a little bit of that with this class as well, particularly with, with Derek Stingley and, and Damian Pierce and, and Thomas Booker. There's a lot of trying to tap into that potential, which is a little bit different than what we get with, with Belichick, but it's, it's trying to find good football players with high upside wherever you can find them throughout this draft. And they're on the right track. I know they didn't have a lot of picks last year. This year makes it a lot better. Um, if Davis Mills hits, this, this team is on a nice track building at key position groups that need depth, need young players to fill those groups out. Was there a player that you're just dumbfounded that the Texans didn't grab at, at some point? Um, besides uh, the guys we talked about off the top right. that you really liked? Well, I, I mean, I was going to, I was going to immediately push to uh, them not selecting Kyle Hamilton. I, I wasn't dumbfounded, more so disappointed. Um, you mentioned how they traded out of that, that second pick that they had in the first round and to not take a flyer on Kyle Hamilton, I, I think was a little bit odd. And it seems like the, the approach was if we're going to go secondary early, we can't double dip in, at secondary. We want to draft an offensive lineman. Um, that worked out for them. I just, I think that passing up on Kyle Hamilton, a lot of teams are, are going to be regretting not taking that chance, not taking that sh- shot to, uh, to select Kyle Hamilton where he was. I mean, separate from that though, I mean, they got, they got good value with, with most of their picks. I, I thought that, and I, I did check that they, they did pass on Jaquan Brisker. I probably would have gone Brisker over Jalen Petrie, but that's not a, that's still not a bad pick. Um, additionally, John Mechie, who I talked about, I, I think is a decent selection, but to pass up on George Pickens, who I think is a lot more upside is a lot more potential, very, very explosive has some attitude issues. I think passing up on him, him and going for John Mechie, that was one of those picks where I was kind of questioning to myself, okay, wh- why would you go with Mechie when you had someone as talented as Pickens on the board? How do you compare their draft to the other teams in the AFC South? How did you like their draft compared to say the Colts or the Jags or, or the Titans? I think compar- comparably, they, they probably had the best draft off the top of my head amongst the rest of the, the AFC South teams because the, the Jaguars draft approach, I don't really fully understand what they're going for. Uh, I didn't like the Trayvon Walker first overall pick. I thought that that should have been Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau. I also was hearing that apparently they might try to use him as a stand-up rusher, and Trayvon Walker is not a stand-up rusher. He is a big dude, and I don't think that he is going to be utilized properly uh, by the Jaguars defense. I'm really, really worried about that. And it was a very heavy defensive approach, not much of an effort to protect and provide Trevor Lawrence with a whole lot. So that was a big drawback for me with the Jaguars. The Titans trading away A.J. Brown, obviously that, that benefits now the Texans that you don't have to defend A.J. Brown. Getting rid of Brown to bring in a younger version of him, as everyone was saying with Traylon Burks, is a head scratcher because A.J. Brown is pretty young. They just didn't want to have to pay him. But it's nice that they get Malik Willis. I wouldn't be shocked in two to three years if Malik Willis takes over that starting job. Or we never see him take a single snap at, at quarterback for the, for the Titans. 
But that's something to look out for for Texans fans is having to face Malik Willis, who has tremendous uh, potential and upside as a quarterback. And then lastly, uh, the Colts. I I literally was a bit underwhelmed by the the Colts draft. They reached, frankly, on a lot of their picks. Like Alec Pierce, where they selected him, was really early. Jelani Woods, where they selected him in round three, was really early. I'm not a fan of Bernard Raymond as a prospect because he's older. Uh, I just didn't really get that for me. And then the other thing, too, they drafted Andrew Ogletree, a, a Youngstown State tight end. And, and I'm an FCS guy. I love FCS prospects. But, like, I, I had no idea who like that he was even a draftable prospect. I didn't have any notes on him because he probably shouldn't have been a draftable prospect. He's big, he's slow, and he can't move very well. So a lot of those other drafts, there's positives for some of these teams. A lot of negatives. I'm more of a fan of what the Texans did because they attacked the needs that they needed to address. Yeah, we're not going to complain that the other teams are stumbling. Did you have a favorite draft (laughs) among the other, uh, I guess, all 32? Did you have a favorite draft among the the 32 teams? Yeah, my favorite group, the, the Ravens are up there. But what the Kansas City Chiefs did has to be um, has to be acknowledged. They are are playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. It, it felt like there were a lot of picks throughout this draft that teams were overthinking things. They were they were trying to play upside or they were passing on certain guys that shouldn't have been passed on. And the Chiefs just kind of sat where they were for most of this draft and allowed right the right players to to fall into their lap they get George Karloftis they get Trent McDuffie early on in the first round who fits they both fit major needs at corner uh, at edge rusher Sky Moore the western Michigan receiver is exactly what they they look for in receivers and to draft him in round two is is tremendous value for him he's fast he's small he's going to be a deep threat they just lost Tyree Kill he's not going to be Tyree Kill but he's that type of a receiver that you can use them as a deep threat in this receiver group. But the other ones that, that really were just so surprising to me, Leo Chanel falling as far as he did, the Wisconsin linebacker who is a freakish athlete and needs to get more recognition for how much of a good athlete he is. Putting him into a linebacker group that already has Willie Gay and Nick Bolton, a lot of speed and quickness in that group, that is a scary, scary linebacker group that they now have. Not to mention that they also were able to get Joshua Williams from Fayetteville State, who tall, long corner, really, really good athlete, is going to lock guys down in a lot of these games. And then the last one, Darian Kennard was somebody who people said was a first-round pick, and here he is falling all the, all the way in the, uh, I think it was, the, yeah, it was the fifth round that he fell as far as he did, Darian Kennard, the, the, the tackle from Kentucky. So kind of like last year, they allow people to fall into their lap and they're going to be really high quality starters. All of those guys, I think have the potential to be high quality starters. And the chiefs also just acquired Lonnie Johnson from the Houston Texans, who, (laughs) uh, as you might remember, Joe, just a couple of years ago, GM Bill O'Brien picked him in the second round and he is already a casualty of Casario and they got, a seventh round pick for him. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, Lonnie Johnson, uh, you know, probably didn't play up to the potential that Texans fans were hoping for, but that, that chief's defense has been so effectively reworked. You have a lot of teams that their approach to fixing rosters this off season was 
trading picks, players, whatever they could to, to add, add players, especially in, in their division. And the Chiefs decided to say, you know what? We're going to part ways. We're going to go cheap because we have a, a big quarterback contract on the books and some other big contracts that are affecting their, their salary cap. And not only are they going young, but they're getting really effective young players that are going to continue to step in and start. And Spagnolo and Andy Reid are going to find ways to activate these players like we saw they did last year. And they also got Justin Reed off the uh, free agent wire from the Texans as well, who was a third round pick a few years ago. Kansas City Texans over here. <laughs> yeah, we'll see uh, what they do with all this. It'd be interesting to see if those guys turn a corner after. I mean, Reed is mostly injuries, but if Lonnie Johnson can turn a corner or what's going to happen there. Uh, before I let you go, remind people where they can find you and, and how they can find you. Yeah, you can find me at Joe DeLeon on Twitter. Uh, be sure to check out our show, the NFL Prospects Pod, at NFL Prospects Pod on Twitter. And then our YouTube channel, which features the NFL Prospects Pod and the FCS Football Pod and some just general college football discussion, Hack City on uh, YouTube. Be sure to check that out and hit subscribe. We are hoping that you're wrong about Kyle Hamilton. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're we're going we're gonna to dream big things for Kenyon Green, and God knows they could use some offensive line help. So uh, thanks so much for doing this, Joe. Always fun to catch up with you. Of course. Thanks for having me on. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk. Don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, the Google Podcast app, or the Stitcher app. You can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us. Spread the word, everybody. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.